welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we're going to be taking our first look at the consensus top three prospects in this draft class, Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and Paulo Bancaro. So I'll be doing my quick takes on them, kind of just some player bios, the profiles, what to expect from them, and how they would fit on the Oklahoma City Thunder, just kind of weighing some pros and cons from that first glimpse at them. And to top it all off, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, we had a historic day on Tuesday. Not only did the Thunder get picks 2-12 and 12 out of the draft lottery night, but the podcast hit numbers we have not seen in a very long time. So it was awesome to see everybody kind of rally back. I know on Twitter, there's been a lot of new people surfacing on the Thunder side of things, just a lot more engagements because that was a big moment in the franchise's history. It's kind of been a turning point. And for some fans that might not have the time to watch every game or might need to listen to stuff like podcasts to kind of get the scoop on things, you know, it's understandable being out of the loop when they are rebuilding. But with a piece like this, you just saw the community really just come together as one. And there's a lot of support coming over here for my instant reaction of that. I'll be telling you all now, I'm going to continue talking about draft prospects throughout the next month and revving up into summer league and regular season play. So I really appreciate all of the support that was given. Want to talk about these three prospects, though? I know I did on Tuesday, got uploaded Wednesday. That was kind of just my, like, first take on, like, oh, you know, this is what they're good at. I think everybody kind of knows at this stage, like, the basic archetype, but I want to talk a little bit more on all of them and kind of how they would work in Oklahoma City's system. And we're going to start out with Chet Holmgren. And whenever the envelope started pouring out, it didn't look like Holmgren was the pick for the Magic. Obviously, the order will be Orlando at 1, OKC at 2, number 3 has the Houston Rockets, and Sacramento will be rounding it out at 4. Got Detroit as the big loser from Lottery Night at 5. But like the mock drafts you saw, and these are the quick ones, like two minutes after the cards are revealed, so they don't have much time. A lot of them had Jabari Smith going there, and Chet being available at number two. Chet has been the consensus number one guy for this draft class, really since I could remember. Like, coming out of high school, he was the number one prospect. Everybody was talking about Chet, and he had a very successful season at Gonzaga. We'll see where he ends up going. I know on Instagram, Josh Giddy was throwing emojis on posts, and that's breaking news, guys. Um, a lot of people were were talking about that, and that's just how social media is, right? And I think it's cool that you know Giddy was Giddy was reacting. You know, if I'm on the the Mavericks department or excuse me, the Magic department, I'm I'm seeing that. I'm like, hey, you know, maybe we should pretend we're taking Holmgren, even if we're not, because you already know one of the Thunder's biggest players has been really vocal about getting him, and by really vocal, I mean whatever emoji it was, probably like a smiley face or whatever, you know, (laughs) but anyways, Holmgren could be a viable option at pick number two, you look at his overall frame, he's seven feet tall, 195, he didn't participate in any combine measurements or the combine really at all, he's basically there to 
do some pre-draft workouts with set teams, and he wasn't looking to get into scrimmages. Understandable. He's in the top three, basically locked right now. But he has that seven foot one ninety five pound package. Comes with a seven foot six wingspan, so he is a one of a kind prospect. That's why he's been so harped up. And he's able to convert from three. He's shown elite rim protection at the collegiate level. And there's just basically an unlimited palette for him. He's still pretty young. And, you know, given his size, it's a really good base, not only with what he showed at Gonzaga, but he's a guy that could be a nightmare in a couple of years. So that's why everybody's really kind of infatuated with Chet. Now he averaged... 14.1 points, 9.9 rebounds, and 3.7 blocks across 32 games for the Zags. If you look at some of the highlight tapes, there is a lot you can talk about there. And rest assured, I'm going to be having like 45-minute podcasts on just set players alone. So, And I have the chat one already ready, by the way. But yeah, there's a lot that you can pick apart with his game. This is more just like the basics. I think we'll go more analytical as we get through the weeks. Anyways, though, he was dominant from all three levels with Gonzaga. He shot 80 of 100 in the painted area, set to 80%, did it with both hands. So he has dexterity inside and he doesn't play like he doesn't weigh like 200 pounds. You know, he goes downhill like he's 230 and he's able to absorb contact when he's going up for these layups. And sometimes he's even able to rise above the rim for some dunks so he's able to clean things up when he's kind of in the half court even in fast break situations and when he has that head of steam like I said you never realize that he's not 200 pounds and even in the post you don't see him work a ton like as this dominant interior force you know back you down type but he has very elite footwork which kind of makes up for that lack in like just overall strength because he's not this burly dude you know he's not a Kenneth Lofton type this is more of the Poku type where he's very lanky Um, but because he gets those angles properly and he's so lengthy with that 7-6 wingspan he's able to turn that corner on you and kind of get those flip shots up and in before the defender is able to react so he has a salivating game when it comes to playing inside but the real moneymaker comes from the three and kind of the different parts he can play because he can plug and play just about anywhere in terms of where he needs to be he can space the floor out and he shot 39 percent with Gonzaga that was 41 of 105 on those attempts a lot of them came off the catch and shoot but also some came off of him getting rebounds and just pioneering the offense he'd take it past the timeline he's pretty nimble for his position group and he just pops the three at the top of the key whenever defenders do not want to press up on him that is a amazing card that he can pull out on teams and I'd say he's very consistent Uh, to where I'd be comfortable with him doing that at the next level. But I think really you're looking at the catch and shoot and how he's able to play off of setting screens. You saw him set a ton of high ball screens and he's able to slip inside of the basket. If you're able to throw loft passes to him, he'll catch it, he'll gather and he'll go up for a standing dunk, layup, whatever you need. And when the defender off the screen both the front court and back court guy stick to that guard or they're trying to hard hedge Holmgren's able to blow right by you and he's able to sneak in for some alley-oop dunks as well he was a very good lob threat 
So that's really what you're looking at, at least from that offensive standpoint. Someone who's going to give you the production, spacing that court, really pretty athletic, all things considered. And he just gives you kind of that prototype build that you will not find in your traditional big man. So he's kind of really already in that new era in terms of prospects at the positional group. Um, And that size is obviously something that will uh, get you up big boards for sure. And defensively, I think that's even where he's better right now. Now he does have a glaring hole and that's in his perimeter defense. You definitely don't want to leave him on an island with some of these guards. Like I think if you put him up against a Jalen Green type prospect where Jalen has just explosive dribble moves. And I'm going to pivot real quick. I saw something on Twitter where people were saying Giddy was a better scorer than Jalen Green. I don't know about that, honestly. Um, That's just kind of a side thing. I know some people might not like that, but Jalen Green is an elite scorer. I think I had him as my top scorer out of last year's draft class. But you just picture Green with not just the handles he has, like between the legs, behind the backs, but his step back is really bar none around the league. That level of self-creation can screw up Holmgren because he is so kind of like hyperactive on his feet and that can lead to people turning the corner and driving inside, but his strides are so large. He can recover both on closeouts and in terms of chase down blocks. The 3.7 blocks were not all coming around the basket and him playing, you know, just like standstill five. Good cut of him came with him on the chase. Him having to be on the run to get the blocks on chase downs and doing it on guards. Even in the post, he was able to do some work. I know Jalen Duran, when Memphis and Gonzaga met in the second round this year, Duran was trying to play bully ball. And to some extent, it worked. He was able to create the initial space off of the back downs. He's putting a lot of upper body strength into it. But as soon as he tried going up for these layups, Holmgren got back got that kind of back on his feet, I guess you could say, and was able to sky up and just barely affect those layups to where they were rejections and they were able to take it the other way. So he's an elite shot blocker who does carry that offensive upside that a lot of teams will be very excited for. Moving on to the next prospect in Jabari Smith. This is a lethal sharp shooter. He shot 42% with the Auburn Tigers from distance this year taking about five and a half threes there and he shot 44 percent off the catch the overall averages were 16.9 points six and a half rebounds and two assists across 34 games Auburn does not have the roster like Gonzaga or a Duke or a Kentucky it was basically Jabari sort of as that one-man show you know I think even like last year Auburn's team was a lot more depth heavy they had guys like Sharif Cooper and JT Thor that they could operate with. Yeah, I think Jabari was kind of that main piece um, that they had on the crew. However, you look at him, you're looking at a guy that the modern NBA has basically adapted. You're looking at a 6'10 shooter. His jump shot will be something talked about for the next month and beyond. It is one of the most fluid quick releases that I've seen in a prospect this year even last year like you did not see very like 
beautiful jump shots. That's what I'm calling Jabari's. It's a beautiful jumper. He has limitless range attached to it. And he's doing it at six foot ten. I can tell you that there were some good looking releases last year for sure. But they weren't six ten guys. They weren't power forwards, small forwards. They were all backcourts. This is a front court guy who's able to light it up from distance. And when you check out some of these top teams in the NBA right now, what are they doing? They're putting these shooters, they're putting these lengthy guys at the power forward when in years past. Someone like Jabari might be written up as a small forward, and that's about it. Now you can play him at the power forward. Look at a team like the Boston Celtics right now. They have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum playing together. What would have happened 10 years ago? That's going to be a problem. You see both of them as small forwards. Maybe Brown moves to the shooting guard. But now Tatum's playing at that power forward position. You have Brown at the three, and they have been dominant. There's a reason they've been so successful this year. And someone like KD as well. He's turned into a straight-up power forward for the Brooklyn Nets. Jabari can be that. Now, with him, when you look at his offensive game, a lot of it has to come off of others creating for him right now. When you put him in good situations, he's a three-level scorer. Like... I use this comparison, it's going to sound bad because you're thinking, I'm comparing this guy to Jabari Smith, Melvin Frazier Jr. He did not have a good season with the Thunder, like at all. You know, I'll be the first one to tell you that. And I was very excited to see him when he got his two-way contract. But Melvin is not a ball handler, and we saw that. How did Melvin create to finish this season? He went baseline virtually every single time because... In the open space, he wasn't doing a good job decision-making, and he didn't have many moves in his bag to get around his defender. Jabari is the same way, where if you give him the basketball and there's an open lane, he's going to do a great job attacking. He does a really solid job kind of absorbing that contact when he's going up with his right hand, and he can elevate. One of the best dunks from the tournament came from Jabari Smith. Got everybody up in their seats, out of their seats, and he was kind of just a highlight film for that game that's an explosive player right now and even when he doesn't have that lane he can pull up right in your face and he can make you pay one of the biggest shots in his arsenal is a two dribble pull up those can lead to some tough shots and a lot of times he was heavily contested when he went up for him but he was still hitting them could you rule that as a bad habit most certainly i think one of the biggest issues I had with Jonathan Kuminga last year was the way he just shot out of problems on the offensive end. He would get the ball, like, let's say the right wing. And Kuminga, we all know how he plays. This is a slasher. He's wanting to get to the basket. He's wanting to create contact, and he wants to get to the free throw line. How does he do it? He's going to start charging at that free throw line and try to create something with the rim right in front of him. He ends up getting stopped around the elbow, Instead of trying to kick it out and he has to pick up his dribble, he just immediately goes into his jumper. He's kind of fixed that with the Golden State Warriors this year. I know he hasn't had like the same resume, I guess. He's not playing as much, but you can tell that he's been a much smarter player and he's really bought into his role. With Jabari, he's like in that same group where, you know, he'll get caught up in the mid-range and he'll just pull it in your face. But unlike Kuminga, Jabari Smith is a very good shooter, so he does get a lot of those shots to go down. That means when you're looking 
you know, a couple years down the line and you need some instant offense, who's going to be the one to get you that scoring production? Jabari Smith could very well be up there. The one thing, though, is in terms of ball handling, he's not at the level of some of these guys like a Jason Tatum right now. The big moves for him are actually that two dribble pull up. Sometimes we'll use a step back. It creates some space, but you don't see it as much as you probably would want to. The area is there for him to improve. You know, his handling is the one limitation I'd say to his game, because if he gets that down, now he's a three-level juggernaut, and I would understand him being that clear-cut number one pick right now. He still is in consideration for it without that, but that's the big what-if with Jabari, and on defense, he looks pretty damn good. 6'10", 200 pounds, think he has a seven foot wingspan I couldn't find that one because he also wasn't getting measurements done over the last two days but anyways he's pretty quick laterally and that means he can defend multiple positions that is music to a lot of people's ears he can guard against either forward and instance he was guarding up against shooting guards that gives a lot of wiggle room for potential coaching staffs you can Basically slide him wherever you need to, and it should work out. For a team like the OKC Thunder, they've already had to jump through so many hoops to get the rotation to work. They have SGA, Josh Giddy, and Lou Dort right now, and Trey Mann. Trey Mann, I think it's safe to say he's the sixth man moving forward, but that top three, it's kind of hard to kick any of them to the bench right now. They're kind of the same position, and I get Giddy's 6'8", so... He might be more of that true type small forward, but he sure as hell doesn't play like one. Your small forward's Ben Lou Dort. Jabari Smith can play the four for you, and you'd be completely fine. And also, he can play the three. And if he needs to, for some reason, he can help you out guarding the backcourt guys at that two position. That's the versatility that teams want to find in the top of this draft class. And with that attached to his offensive capabilities, that's why his ceiling's so high, and that's why everybody... Is kind of sold on him as a prospect. And I want to be talking about another player that a lot of fans are sold on, Impalo Bancaro. But first, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA playoffs means nonstop action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place the same game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do, that's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. 
as I'm recording this, guys, um, there's actually the Mavericks Warriors game going on right next to me. So if you guys have been watching game two, I'm right there with you uh, as I'm on this. Just saw Bertans and Damian Lee get into a scuffle. Bertans just got a technical foul for standing up off of um, a three-point attempt. So I thought that was pretty interesting. If you see text for Davis Bertans on the sportsbook app and you bet on it, you probably made a lot of money right there. We'll see what happens uh, in game number three. You got to go to Miami and their series going to Boston first, of course. But it's been a very fun playoffs, and I'm very, very interested to see who makes the finals. I'm always on that camp where, like, or at least lately, I've been on the camp where I just want to watch good basketball. I want to see good storylines, and whichever team makes it, makes it. Like, I don't really have an affiliation to a playoff team right now. Just sort of floating in no man's land, and hell, you know, whoever wins, wins. I think if I had to say who I'm enjoying the most, it'd have to be the Mavericks. Just Luka going crazy. You know, the one game that they had against the Suns where it was just three ball after three ball. Game seven as well. Um... Yeah, that was a very special game to kind of witness as a Suns fan or for whoever would be a Suns fan. It's probably a nightmare, but it was very reminiscent of the Thunder's trip to Memphis back in December, if you know uh, what I'm talking about there. But going into Paulo Bancaro, this is a player that has been kind of ruled as the number three right now, but it's been like three days since we saw the cards revealed, and honestly... I think that it's kind of stupid to label one, two, and three right now. Like, by the end of it, sure. I don't think it's locked that he's like a rocket or he's going number three because there's a lot of skills that Paulo brings that the other two simply just don't provide. And a lot of people in this draft class don't provide it either. Even looking back at last year's draft class, they don't have the same build as Paulo. So just looking at him, he came from one of the Blue Bud schools with Duke. Averaged 17.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, and 3.2 assists in 39 games. He already has that perfect NBA frame. He's 6'10", 250 pounds. So he already has a weight on him right now. And he's 19 years old. Look at him in two years. You're just going to chisel him up even more. He'll probably be 250, maybe 240 at that time. But he already has basically the perfect layout to go into the league right now and be successful at what he's currently doing. And the big thing with him is his playmaking ability. There's no 6'10 ball handler quite as good as Paulo right now. And maybe in terms of like getting you with, getting you with hesitations or like between the legs moves, there's probably a couple good ones in this draft class. However, the way that Paulo is able to kind of utilize those and create opportunities off of them are not comparable to the other guys he is one of the better downhill drivers and just isolators you'll find in the draft jumbo sized as well when he is 6'10 and he's got a full head of steam when he turns that corner on you at 250 he's making you he's making sure you know he's 250 pounds might feel like 350 pounds basically a freight train driving to the basket now is he also like a high flying guy no However, he does an amazing job taking contact at the basket, and he can do it on either side. He's not, you know, he's, he's a right-handed player, but he's able to finish around the basket with his left hand 
at a pretty solid level as well. So he's going to keep that defender guessing, but also he's going to make you pay because you're going to have to get physical and the ref is going to have to put some air in the whistle. That's putting him right to the foul line. And that's where he's going to thrive, I think, because he gets so many opportunities there. He's going to cash out on a lot of those. And that's where he's going to make a lot of money's worth. Now, with the dribbling, with the drives to the basket, he'll break through that first level. If the second level goes right at him or he sees some change up at the perimeter, he will kick out on these drives. This is big time to be able to have that playmaking ability in his arsenal, and he already has it. The one question is his three-point shot. He'll have a lot of success as a shooter. He can create shots off the dribble, both at the three and the two-point range, but you don't see him having games where he's shooting two of five from the three, game after game after game. It will be one for eight, two for seven, four for six. He shot about 34% from distance this year from downtown, so he's at that quality level, but does he translate right over and continue to be a pretty solid shooter, or is he just going to flatline a little bit? And you do not want to see that happen because he has a lot of potential. He's already very gifted there. Defensively, people have kind of been tugging on him, saying that he's not going to hold up per se, or that he does have some issues right now in terms of guarding at the perimeter, guarding multiple positions. I do think that he will be a solid defender at the end of this. The main thing is just the lateral quickness with him that I think people are quick to kind of comment on. But the offense and what he would bring there is definitely why you draft him. I think the the defense kind of comes as that bonus. You need to make sure he's a good defender, obviously. But whether he's an above average defender or he's just like solid, you know, I don't think that's going to make or break it. Uh, at least that's what I would think if you're really bought in on, on the offense because he can be a nightmare if he's able to get his shot going. So that's just like the baseline of these three guys. I want to get it a little bit more knit and catered towards OKC Thunder and why exactly they might work out better um, than the others. So it's kind of like a head-to-head-to-head between Chet, Jabari, and Paulo. And when you break down Chet, out of the three, he's the best rim protector. Clear as day, flat-footed, on the move, doesn't really matter. He's able to manage so much floor space. And it's one of those things where he's the best in this draft class. He might be one of the best at the next level as well, just because of that size that he possesses. Another thing, He's the only one that's patching up that five spot. I get that pick 12 is there and there's a couple prospects available. I think OKC is just going to jump and go after that center, you know, if they're really sold on him. So, you know, let's say they like Chet more than Jabari, more than Paulo. They probably take Chet and at 12, I guess that's when you look at getting that three or four moving on in the future. Anyways, though, Chet he fixes you up right there and he gets you some stability that the Thunder just have not had at all during this rebuild. There's been so many guys in a revolving door at the five. They need to get something kind of just moving forward down and Chet is going to bring that to you. He's also bringing a lot of floor spacing, which is what the Thunder really need. You look at all the centers that they've used, the people that have kind of fizzled out can't shoot three-pointers. Moses Brown and Tony Bradley were very good centers. I think they'd be good bench 
players for sure on this roster because they're good at setting screens. They're good at rolling to the basket. Defensively, they hold up and they're good rebounders. They check all the boxes, but OKC did not want them because they couldn't space the floor. They want to have people who can get you that five out offense, set that screen for SGA and pop and make sure the center has to play up a little bit to create more advantages for SGA or whoever is going uh, on the penetration. So Chet, he can shoot. He can shoot off of DHOs. Basically, if you get him the open space, he'll work for you. Self-creation is that one pitfall. You know, the handle is pretty loose, and you kind of can understand why. Like, he's pretty damn tall. So it's just part of kind of what comes with it. A lot of the issues come with the frame. Now, I personally don't think it's a major red flag right now that he's like 200 pounds um, because he's been playing bigger centers and he's been doing just fine. I think the bigger thing to me is, does he get injured off of this? Because I think he'll be a very productive player, really any way you cut it. But the injury thing is what would kind of be my scare factor that would kick in. But Chet has the highest ceiling out of this draft class. I don't think that's one many would really argue with. Everyone in this top three has a high ceiling, but I'd say Chet in particular kind of takes you to new heights that you wouldn't really find with either the two power forward options. Looking at Jabari though, he's the best shooter. And I don't think that changes. Like he's so good in that aspect. Even if Chet really gets it going, or Paulo gets the shot ignited. In a catch-and-shoot situation, I think Jabari will probably trump those two. And still, in terms of the technicalities and the release, I love it. I'm I'm a big fan of what he would bring to the table and the spacing he'd provide to really any team. So he's the best catch-and-shoot player the Thunder could bring on in this draft class. Already has that deadly two-dribble pull-up, which can help him out. You get him as a scorer who's going to be a big threat defensively. So he's that two-way sharpshooter, I guess, if you want to go 2K terms. If that's still the build names on that game, haven't played in a year, that's one of the best decisions I've made because I put way too many hours into a game that I don't even want to talk about anymore, (laughs) honestly. But um, yeah, he's able to defend and get you threes. He's going to be able to tap inside if that avenue is open. But the one con I will say is that he never really tested his boundaries a lot as a playmaker, as a ball handler. And even though he showed flashes that he could create and he could kick it out, I don't think it's enough right now. And that's something he'll work on if he gets the handling going. And I talked about it on Tuesday, talked about it earlier in this podcast. That's when you look at those astronomical levels of him as a player because right now if he doesn't get the ball handling going then you consider like is he just going to be a three and d prospect or where does he go it's a high floor of course but is that floor going to be game changing for you he needs to unlock the handle um and when you look at the system okc already has a ton of playmakers I think they'll still give him opportunities and OKC is so good developmentally. Like I just listened to a pod actually yesterday, Alex Caruso of all people was talking about his journey to the NBA and he talked about the OKC blue. That is the one team that he said really gave him the tools 
the accessibility to work out because it's a 24-7 gym. Most G League teams don't offer that. And just the wisdom from guys like Presti in the front office on what Caruso needed to be to advance. I think with a guy like Smith, they're going to cater something towards him to make sure he can handle. Uh, But that is the one con when you assess him as a prospect because the other option, Paulo already has the handle down to a T. He already has the shot creation to a T. Like he will get space on open shots one-on-one really anywhere. But it's the conversion rates that are more concerning because Jabari's are pretty damn good when he's able to uh, get wide open. So Paulo, I think, the like I said, the, the verdict is that he's the number three guy, but I don't necessarily think that's something we should just immediately lock in on like he could get picked by the magic and there will be the initial like you know what happened like kind of the shocked phase but it's not that crazy to think so because when you're talking like generational small forwards or just people who can change your team they're small forwards that can create for themselves paulo can already do it he already has everything in the toolbox that i think it just comes down to kind of fixing a few things up. And the big one does happen to be that shot. And then defensively too, he's not the most versatile that you'll find compared to a player such as Jabari. But he's the most NBA ready right now. He's the best finisher. When we're talking pre-draft workouts and the mentality, I think OKC likes. Paulo, I think, is a better one than Chet and Jabari. Now, Chet and Jabari are very confident in their skill sets. Like, they're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the best. Like, Chet even said, in two months, I'm going to be the best player in the NBA. They have that drive of them, and I love it. It's more of looking at that OKC Thunder lens of, do they love it? Paulo, kind of head down, get to work, be humble. I think that's what Sam Preston likes personally from a lot of these guys that they picked they pick player um like personality um or i guess i'll say this they pick person over the player sometimes and i don't know if you use that mantra with your number two pick but paulo gives you crazy skill set and i think he plugs in as, as a personality that you can have moving forward but yeah that's one thing that i do think helps him outside of just on the hardwood kind of the the energy and like the, the thought process he'd be able to bring to you and he has that potential as well to be amazing if he does get this shot rolling the con is that shot's not always going for him and if it's not well might not be the smoothest fit right now with sga and giddy because sga was a great shooter he still probably is but the numbers didn't directly show that last year giddy has not been known as a great one and OKC's just been known for bad shooting ability. So it could hinder you in that department. And then also, how does it all work out on who's going to have the basketball in their hands? You know, all these guys are relatively young. I think when you get to the more like veteran pieces, they're ready to get into that championship mode. You'll start to see people like lock in on like a set role. But right now, I feel like if you have a ton of ball handlers, they're all 19, 20, 21 years old. They're going to want a you know, piece of that pie right now. I think Dagnall and company would give it to them all. But you do need to kind of look at that as well. If you are addressing fit, I think fit has Chet, Jabari, and Paulo. That order, really it's two different categories because Chet 
is not in the same kind of group, I would say. I think this is all about going best player available, though, and that's where they'll stick at. You know, Presti talked about his consensus never being the consensus. You don't go to the ringer, and the ringer does a hell of a job. Kevin O'Connor is one of the best when it comes to draft analysis, but they're not looking at the big board that he posts, and they're like, oh, write that down, write that down. They already have guys they're paying to do that for them, and their board's not going to reflect 1 through 30 what Kevin has, even though you know he does do a good job and he does his due diligence. That's for damn sure. Anyways, we're not going to know. We're, it's just going to be rumor, smoke screen after smoke screen for the next month, but that's part of the process of this draft lottery, and that's why it's going to be so enjoyable for the next month. So make sure to stick around on this podcast for all the people who have been listening to me uh, throughout the last two regular seasons, joining the second off season over here with me. I really appreciate the support. Just like last year, we'll be doing those in-depth prospect evaluations, the one-person prospect evaluations that kind of go up there in airtime because I love talking draft. Anyways, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. If you have any takes on these players, any suggestions for me moving forward, something you want to talk about in their games, make sure to let me know on my Twitter, at Ben Kreider, or you can hit up the pod's Twitter, that's at ThunderstickPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.